Hey, we want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedules to join us on the JF Podcast. It is our hope that this most recent talk teaches you, inspires you, and challenges you to live the life you were designed to live. If this message has helped you in some way, help someone else by sharing it. And if you want more information about who we are, what we do, or you'd like to contribute to our community, you can find us at JolietNaz.org. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, thank you guys so much for having me. I, I am really glad to be here. Uh, and as you can tell, I'm not Brad. I'm Jake. I'm from Crossroads. And I love that we are doing this Explore God series. Uh, for those of you that don't know, we're a few weeks into a series called Explore God. Uh, and each week we're answering one of the big seven questions that someone from the outside looking in at our faith and God and Christianity, uh, the big seven questions that people have and uh, we're trying to answer those questions. And so the really cool thing about this is our church is also doing this series. Uh, but it's not just our two churches. There's actually several hundred churches in the Chicagoland area that are going through this series uh, and inviting people to come in uh, with their questions, with their doubts, to explore God and see what it might look like to pursue God and live for Him. And so if you're here for the very first time, I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, you may have questions, you may have doubts, and we're glad that you're here. Come with your questions, come with your doubts, uh, but we want you to walk away knowing that you're loved and knowing that God wants to know you and you're welcome and accepted here. And so the question that I have the privilege of talking about is, is Christianity too narrow? Uh, but before we get into that, I want to say a word of prayer, so please bow with me. God, you are good. We love you. And we are grateful that we can gather together in a place like this to talk about you. Uh, my hope and my prayer is that every single person here would walk away knowing that we are welcomed and we are loved and we are all extended the inclusive gift of grace and love from you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. So I want to tell you a little bit about me. Uh, Brad had mentioned I'm, I'm from here in uh, Joliet. Born and raised, I went to Gompers Junior High. I went to Joliet Central, that big brick building downtown. I love it. I, I, I moved away uh, after I graduated high school. Uh, at 17, I became a Christian. Shortly after, I decided I wanted to go into ministry. So I went to a Lincoln Christian College. If you hop on 55, about two hours, uh, it's a little college in the middle of a cornfield, which was a total culture shock for me. Because I grew up here in Joliet, and I'm like, wait, everything shuts down at like 9 o'clock. It's so dark. It's so quiet. You can hear animals and wildlife. I, I wasn't used, I was used to like cars and sirens and lights and being able to go to 7-Eleven at 2 in the morning if you wanted to, and there wasn't none of that. And so the, the reason I share that is because being an outsider growing up, uh, faith and Christianity and all this God stuff was kind of weird to me, honestly. It was kind of strange. I mean, even here, I'm looking at uh, the communion cups. The first time I ever went to church, I was like, oh, this is interesting. There's like an intermission where we get a snack. This is cool. I could get behind this. Uh, that's obviously not what it is. This represents the body and the blood of Christ, but I thought it was like a, a halftime snack. But, you know, it, it, it was kind of weird to me. And being an outsider, sometimes when you look at religion or you look at culture, the way that different cultures handle things, you look at it and you say, that's strange, that's odd. Well, 
we often have that experience, and I think people have that same experience when they're looking at faith and they're looking at the things that we believe. Uh, and so our job is to help bridge that gap so they can understand why we do the things we do, why we believe the things that we do, and they don't just look at us and say, that's strange, that's odd, that's weird, that's crazy. Well, it's one thing to see it, it's another thing to experience it. And when I was in college, uh, the, the great thing about the school I went to is every year uh, they would give us an additional week uh, besides spring break. Uh, so we'd get one week off for spring break, but then they would give us another week where we could go and do service trips. Uh, so they would plan local service trips in our community throughout uh, the country, and they would also plan trips uh, throughout the world. And so during my senior year, I had the privilege of spending a whole month in Uganda, Africa, working with kids who had been forced, who had been abducted and forced to fight as child soldiers. And so leading up to that trip, uh, we had lots and lots of meetings. We had to see the doctor. We had to get lots of shots. We had to take some weird malaria medicine that gave you some crazy dreams. Uh, but in one of the meetings we had with our professor, who had spent over 10 years serving as a missionary in Africa, he was, he was giving us some tips some things to look forward to as we spent a month in Africa. Uh, and he, he, some things to prepare ourselves, because, you know, as an outsider, you might see something and be like, that's kind of weird, that's kind of strange. And so he was trying to prepare us for that. One of the things he shared was about how friends hold hands. Uh, if, if two men are walking down the street and they're close friends, they would actually hold hands as they walk. Or if you saw two ladies holding hands, uh, it's because they were close friends. And I thought, oh, okay, that's, that's kind of odd. Well, fast forward to me being in Africa. Uh, we, we'd already been there for a couple weeks. And I'll tell you, it's one thing to hear something. It's a whole other thing when you experience something. So there was a guy named Ali. Uh, he was kind of showing us around. He served at the place we were, we were working at. Uh, he was kind of our guide. He sh showed us around uh, the neighborhoods and areas. And he was around my age. He was charismatic. He was funny. We had a similar sense of humor. So him and I clicked almost instantly. And we went everywhere together. We hung out every day. And one day, towards the end of our trip, there was a cafe about two miles away that we would go to on a pretty regular basis. It was called Copa Cafe. So we start our walk. And that's when it happened. All of a sudden, I feel a hand reach down and grab mine. And it was like the matrix. Like the whole world slowed down. I had like four million thoughts swirling through my head all at once. Because the American side of me, who likes my personal space, wanted my, my knee-jerk reaction was to yank my hand away. But I knew that if I did that, I would have destroyed and deflated this moment of authenticity and friendship. My friend Ali was extending, telling me that he saw me as a true friend. And so in that moment, when I had a million thoughts running through my head, I was like, okay, I, I don't want to blow this, but everything in me is very uncomfortable with this. I don't, even, I don't even hold hands with my wife that often. So to hold hands with another man was very foreign and very uncomfortable. And I'm not talking like hold hands like we do when we're going to say, prayer in a prayer circle? I mean like hold hands. And to hold hands with another man for a two-mile walk, man, that was the longest two miles of my whole life. But I'm so glad that I, I leaned into it. Uh, because it's a moment that I'll never forget. It's a moment that, that I was, I'll, I'll be able to remember forever where my friend Ali was telling me 
that he saw me as a brother, as a friend. And as an outsider, my, my reaction could have been to, to yank my hand away and say, no, that's weird, that's strange. But instead, I leaned into it. And, and that's essentially what we're trying to do here. We're trying to look at some of the things in Christianity that an outsider might look at and say, well, that's weird, that's strange. And we want, we want to help them bridge that gap. Because honestly, like, if, if you look at the things that we believe, if you just remove yourself from a little bit and, and have someone that comes in and we tell them, okay, here's what we believe. So a long, long time ago, not in a galaxy far away, th this earth right here, right? A long, long time ago, there was a woman who was a virgin, and God told her she was going to give birth to the Son of God. Like, okay, that's kind of odd. And now this, this boy is going to live a perfect life. He's going to grow into be a man. He's going to do miracles. He's going to preach the gospel. He's going to call disciples. He, he's going to live this perfect life. And at the end of his life, he's going to be beaten and executed and put in a grave. And then, three days later, later by the power of God, he's going to come out of that grave. That seems kind of strange, doesn't it? That, that is a big gap to, to close for someone that's an outsider, for someone that's a foreigner looking at our faith, but this is what people are wrestling with. And it seems normal to us. Or if you've, you're a Christian, this seems normal to you, but what we're trying to do is, is we're trying to bridge that gap. And any time that you're trying to bridge that gap between the physical and the eternal, between the temporal and the eternal, it is going to include some strange things. I mean, think about, you know, uh, some of the things we do. People look at us and they say we're crazy. We, we look at them and we say they're odd and they're strange. But some of the things we do seem odd to an outsider, like prayer. Uh, think about someone who doesn't believe in an afterlife, who doesn't believe in a God, who doesn't believe that there's a spiritual world. You say, okay, well, when it's prayer time, I, I talk to Jesus. Wait, so they're like, wait, wait, wait. So you, you talk to someone who's not there? Well, normally we call those people crazy, right? But no, no, that's a part of our faith. That's a huge part of, of what it means to be a follower of Jesus is to spend time talking to him daily, and we call that prayer. Or, or think about death, for example. When a, a, a Christian dies, yes, we mourn their loss. But we also celebrate their death, which to an outsider who doesn't believe in eternity, that seems very strange. It seems strange that we're celebrating the death of someone we love. And the reason we're celebrating is because we know that this is the beginning of the, their eternal existence. We are celebrating because they're going on to live eternity with God. But to an outsider... It seems kind of odd. It seems kind of strange. And there are other things that keep people from being a follower of God. There are some religious tendencies that we have that push people away. Think about things like this, being legalistic. Uh, legalism is, is where we say you have to do this checklist of things, and if you don't do it, then you're not okay with God. Or if you, you do any of these things over here, then you're not okay with God. So when we become legalistic about fulfilling all these certain rites and rituals and jumping through hoops, people are like, I don't, I don't, know, if I want to, I don't know if I want to be a part of that. It, it keeps people away. Or when we're judgmental. You know, when we say, if you don't think like I do, if you don't act like I do, if you don't vote like I do, then you're not welcome here. You're an outsider. Or what about things like hypocrisy? Hypocrisy is when... Uh, People of faith say one thing, but then do another thing. When they act one way, or, or they, they say they're one way, and then their actions say something totally different about them. 
being legalistic, being judgmental, being hypocritical, these are all things that push people away. And again, we're trying to bridge that gap so that more and more people can know who God is. The problem comes in when we create these hoops for people to jump through. When we make all these things that they have to do in order to get to God, we're actually pushing them away. And it's not good, and it's not healthy, and that's not what we're, that's not what we're about. We want to remove as many barriers as possible so that as many people as possible can know who God is. And if you're here for the first time, I hope you're encouraged by that. I hope that you know that you're welcome here and that God wants to know you. He wants you to know that you are loved and welcome and accepted. That brings us to our big idea for today. Our big idea for today is this. Religion is humanity's attempt to reach God. Christianity is God's attempt to reach humanity. There's a big difference between religion and Christianity. Christianity is God reaching out to us. Religion is us creating things to to get to God, and that's not good, and it's not healthy. Now, that may sound like a very narrow-minded statement, but think about what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. This is what he says in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. In order to see how we can maintain faith in Jesus among people who are not comfortable with the exclusive claims of Christianity, what we're going to do today is we're going to look at an example from Paul. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 17. As we talk about this this topic of, is Christianity too narrow? And I think, although the way to God is narrow, there's a very inclusive claim for all people so that all people can connect with God. So Acts chapter 17, a little bit of the background on this. Now remember, Paul, Paul is this guy who was persecuting the church. He was he was against God. He, he was pulling people out of their homes and persecuting them. And then he had this miraculous turnaround where he gave his life to God and he, he turned his life around and he started planting churches. Now he went on these missionary journeys and we're picking it up in Acts 17. This is his second missionary journey. And everywhere he goes, he would preach the gospel He would baptize people, and he would establish churches, and then he would move on. And there were some places where he was accepted with open arms. There are some places where he was rejected, where he was beaten, where he was stoned, where he was shipwrecked, where he was flogged. But still, he continued to preach the gospel. And where he finds himself now, where we're picking it up in 17, uh, he's in Rome, and Rome had a plethora of of religions and a pantheon of gods and they were open to just about anyone and just about any other religion except for Christianity. The reason they weren't open to Christianity is because of the exclusive claims about Jesus being the only way to God. Now if you were someone who believed in many gods and many religions then you were good and you were well you were welcomed and you were meant to be accepted. But if you believed in Christianity, and you believed there was only one way to God, and the only way to God was through Jesus, then you were not accepted. You were not to be tolerated. You were seen as intolerant. Does this sound familiar at all? Sounds a lot like the culture that we find ourselves in now. When we make these exclusive claims that the only way to God is through Jesus, we are labeled as intolerant, as narrow-minded. 
But somehow, someway, Paul was able to navigate this. And I think there are five things that we can learn from Paul uh, that we're going to see in Acts 17. If we want to navigate this, navigate ways to share our faith in a world that sees Christians as narrow-minded. The first thing, he engaged in conversations. So, Acts 17. I'm going to read starting in verse 16, uh, 16 through 20. This is what it says. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogues with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. They took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. First thing we can learn from Paul is that he engaged in conversations. If, we, if there are people in our life, people that we love, people that we work with, people we go to school with that are curious about God, and we want to bridge that gap, the first thing we can do is we can engage in conversations. And that's exactly what he did. He engaged in conversations, even though the text says that he was deeply troubled by their idols. As he walked through the city, he saw that they were worshiping all these other gods, and he was deeply troubled by that. But he didn't allow that to stop him from having conversations with people. He didn't condemn them for worshiping other gods. He wasn't standing on a street corner telling them that they were going to burn in hell if they didn't turn and worship Jesus. Instead, he engaged in conversations with them. He didn't condemn them. Instead, he had conversations. Verse 17, look, look at what it says. It says, he reasoned in the synagogues. So with other people who believe some of the same things he did, his, his Jewish brothers, he, he reasoned with them in the synagogues trying to teach them about Jesus. It says he talked in the marketplace day by day. So what that translates to is us as we go to work, as we go to school. He talked about Jesus everywhere he went. He reasoned in the synagogues. He talked in the marketplace and he engaged in academic conversations with philosophers. Instead of posting articles that condemn, instead of posting hate on his timeline, instead, he engaged in conversations with people who thought differently than he did. I think there's a lot that we can learn from Paul. First thing he did is he engaged in conversation. Second thing is he found common ground. Uh, We're going to see that in verses 22 and 23. This is what it says. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious, for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I found an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this, this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. So he walks around, he pays close attention to the things that are important to them. He says, if I'm going to bridge this gap, if I'm going to get them to see my God, if I'm going to get them to see that the only way to Jesus is, or the only way to God is through Jesus, I need to find some common ground. So he walks around and he finds common ground. It's easy to condemn. It's hard to find common ground. But I think if we're going to save people, if we're going to win people to Christ, we need to find common ground with them. 
Uh, even in, in verse 22, he complimented them for being very religious. He says, look, even though I, I think that you're worshiping the wrong God, I see that you want to know who God is. You're attempting to get to know God. And so he compliments them for, for their religious views, for their many gods. Although today, being very religious wouldn't really be much of a compliment. But in their time it was. So he, he compliments them. And then in verse 23, it says, Paul looked carefully and he saw an altar. He saw an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. Now, Paul knows that this is not a representation of God. This is not a representation of Jesus. But he saw this as an open door. He saw this as a way to engage in conversation. He saw this as a way to bridge that gap, as a way to find common ground so he could share the truth of Jesus with them. He engaged in conversations. He looked for common ground. And then he proclaimed the truth. Uh, let's go ahead and pick that up in verse 24. This is what it says. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not live in temples built by human hands, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Now, I'm going to go ahead and skip a couple verses. We'll come back to those. Don't worry. Uh, and I'm going to jump down to 29. This is what it says. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Now, he complimented them. He found common ground. But what he also does is he speaks truth. He does not back down from the truth. He doesn't back down. He, he's not afraid to share the truth of Jesus. He says, look, in the past, uh, God overlooked this. But what he wants is everyone to come to him. He wants everyone to repent. He doesn't back down from the truth. But the reason he's able to proclaim the truth is because he does the first two things. He, he has conversations with them. He builds relational credibility. He finds common ground to, to have a way in to share this truth. What he really wants them to see is all their religions, all their gods, all these things that they're doing, they're unnecessary hoops that you're creating to jump through in order to get to God. When none of those things are necessary. The only thing you need to get to God is Jesus. And that's what he's trying to proclaim to them. He's saying, all these idols that you're worshiping, these things that are made of stone and wood, you're just creating for yourself a harder way to get to God. You're, you're creating hoops for yourself to jump through. What you need to do is you need to come to Jesus. This is why God sent Jesus in the first place, so that everyone would turn to him, they would repent, and they would have a relationship with God. So those are the first three things. The fourth thing is he showed respect to his listeners. Remember I told you I was going to come back to those verses? I want to go ahead and read verses 26 through 28. This is what it says. From one man he made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. He marked out their appointed times in history and, their boundaries, and the boundaries of their land. God did this so they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far away though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. I want you to pay attention to what Paul did here. 
I think there's a lot that we can learn from what Paul does right here in these couple of verses. Because what he does is he shows respect to his listeners. He does this in two ways. First, by reminding them that they have intrinsic value that they are valued, that they are loved as people that God created. He reminds them that they themselves, regardless of what they believe, regardless of, of where they come from, regardless of their mistakes, regardless of their past, they as people, as human beings, have intrinsic value, and God loves them and created them. Second thing, I think this is really powerful. He quotes one of their own poets. Instead of pulling out his Bible and quoting the Jewish scripture, something they would have been totally unfamiliar with, what he does is he took time to get to know them, their world, their culture, and he meets them right where they are by quoting one of their own poets. And apparently, whatever this quote was, was something that all of his listeners would have been familiar with. He says, look, even as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So what is the result of all this? of him engaging in conversations, of finding common ground, proclaiming the truth, and showing his listeners respect? Well, the result of all this is number five. He persuaded some to follow Jesus. Uh, that's where we're going to end this for today, uh, starting in verse 32. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. So not everyone was comfortable with this. Some of them sneered. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became, believers of Paul, uh, became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysus, a member of the Areopagus, and a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. Now, he didn't win everyone, but he did win some. I think this is very important for us. If we can follow Paul's example, I think we can see this result. It, Luke goes as far to share. Luke is the, the person who wrote the book of Acts. He wrote the names. The names of some of the people that accepted Jesus and became followers. I, I think that's important. He, he preached this message, this truth, to many, many people. And Luke makes it a point to record the names because those aren't just names of anyone. Those are names of people who gave their life to Christ who are going to spend the rest of eternity with God and that is worth celebrating. That is worth marking. Anytime someone accepts, all of heaven is celebrating because those are people that we're going to spend the rest of eternity with. And so you may, you may share your faith with dozens, with hundreds of people and there may be just a few that accept but the few that accept are worth celebrating. I know, because I was one of them. I lived my life very, very far from God. I lived a dark and hopeless life, and eventually there was someone who came into my life who shared the love of Jesus with me to the point where I had to ask the question, why? Why are you this way? Why do you love me? Why do you care about me? Why do you forgive me? And he was able to share the truth. He's able to tell me that Jesus was the reason why. I became a follower. And I'm grateful for people like him. Because now I know where I'm going to spend the rest of eternity. My hope is that you can do the same. Now, what if, what if Paul had allowed himself to be triggered by all the idols? By all the idols that were there in Athens. And he said, you know what? I, I, don't, want to share the, I don't want to share the good news with these people. 
Damaris would not be in heaven because of that. So even if just one accepts, I think it's worth it. I think it's worth it to engage in our culture, engage with the people in our, our workplace that we go to school with, that we see on a daily basis, engage with them so that some might follow Jesus. Paul lived in a way that forced people to ask questions, that forced people to ask the question why. If we go back to verses 19 and 20, this is what it says. Then they took him to the meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know this new teaching that you're presenting. You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. He forced them to ask questions because of the way that he lived. I'm talking about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness. Does the way we live, does the fruit that we bear force people to ask the question, why? I hope so. I hope that we live in a way that forces people to ask us why. What does this mean for you? I mean, how can we apply this to our life? I want to ask, does your lifestyle, does your lifestyle force people to ask the question, why? If it doesn't, what do you need to change? Are there things in your life that you need to change so that people are forced to ask the question, why? I mean, do we know religion, but not God? Because that's not going to help anyone. We could create all the hoops we want, but that's not the way to God. I pray that we would live lives that would force people to ask why. I pray that we would be bombarded with questions, that people would ask us why we go the places we go, why we do the things that we do, why we serve the people that we serve, why we have the hope in a world that seems hopeless. And when they ask why, we can proclaim the truth, that Jesus is the reason why. I hope that we have the faith, the courage, the gentleness, and respect to boldly and humbly share our faith. And if we did this, I don't think the rest of the world would look at us and say that we're narrow-minded. If we modeled Christ's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, kindness, gentleness, and self-control, would we be seen as narrow-minded? I don't think so. I hope not. I hope that people would look at us and say that we are the most welcoming, loving people that they've ever known. And through Jesus, every person would find peace. This is a profoundly inclusive, not exclusive statement. Although the way to God is narrow, the invitation is very inclusive. It's open to everyone, everywhere. My hope is that we could help Share, share this with as many people as possible. So here's your next steps. This is what I want us to do. What God has done for us, let us do for others. God has reached out to us, so let's reach out to others. God has extended grace to us, so let's extend grace to others. God has included us, so let's include others. God has forgiven us, so let's forgive others. God has accepted us, so let's accept others. God shows us love, so let's show love to others. Yeah, you guys are getting it. Here's the truth. Following Jesus is different than every other religion because he sacrificed in order to get to us, not us sacrificing in order to get to him. In a world that sees us, as narrow-minded. Let's remind them of this all-inclusive gift that Jesus gives by dying on the cross for our sins. If we did that,
I don't think the world will see us as narrow-minded. I think they would see us for the loving, accepting, and kind people that Jesus calls us to be. That's my hope for us. Let me pray. God, I want to say thank you for today. Thank you for this church. Thank you for what they're doing. Thank you for what you're doing through them. As we're going through this series, trying to explore you and what it looks like to live for you and follow you, my hope is that what you've done for us, we would do for others. And by doing that, more and more people would know that they are loved, they're forgiven, and they're accepted because of what Jesus did. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.